I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast... Follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear. Go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's guest is the epitome, the exemplification, the typification of do-it-yourself pop stars. This (laughs) bad boy king is a revolutionary in the streaming landscape, having gone multi-platinum with over a billion streams, billion with a B. Still young and prolific, this artist's discography is nothing short of impressive. From the great state of California, this artist will hit you right where your feelings are. And the writer is my friend, Ari Leff, a.k.a. Love. What's up? That was quite the intro. Yeah. Welcome, man. It's good to have you. Yeah, good to have you and good to talk to you again. It's been a minute. It has. Um, So here's like a weird story. So we obviously did... um, El Tejano together featuring Sofia Reyes. Yes. And she lives right there. She lives, oh, really? lives in like the house right there and like right on the other side of this. And I ha- I've like, I've never met her, but she shoots music videos there and all these things. And I just want to be like, Hey. Oh my God. That's amazing. You have to meet her. She's so sweet. I'll put us on like a little group text or something. So funny. It's so weird. Um, all right. So. Let's start from the beginning, my friend, because uh, yeah. uh, I think it's like it's so incredible when somebody as young as you are has achieved so much so fast, but or seemingly so fast to us. But uh, this has obviously been a long journey for you. So, uh, so you're born in San Francisco, and yes. uh, tell me, tell me about your your family life. Tell me about San Francisco. Where in San Francisco? So yeah, I was born right in downtown and and or in the city rather, and lived in Oakland till I was four. So I don't even really feel like I'm from San Francisco because like I was barely conscious. I feel like one of my first memories was literally moving out of that house and saying goodbye to it. Um, 
And then I moved to, for my mom's job, we moved to uh, Atlanta for seven years and then Philly for seven years. And then I went to school at NYU. Um, yeah. And I kind of, I grew up in a household where both of my sisters um, were playing like violin and cello. I was taking piano lessons as a kid. Um, that kind of a vibe. Are your, are your, um, wait, what was your mom's job? Why is she traveling around so much? Uh, she works in vaccine research. Oh, crazy. So this is an yeah. interesting time for her, I'm sure. Very much so. She's always like sending us like articles and stuff like that. So what does she say about everything going on? Um, she's very practical about it. I mean, she, she acknowledges how, how serious it is. She, she actually works for the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, specifically, her whole career has been dedicated to like HIV AIDS vaccine research. But um, I think she, uh, you know, they're calling on more people within the within the foundation to you know help out with COVID. I don't know to what extent, but um, amazing. She's also she's been like my sounding board. I'll be like, how like how risky is this specific behavior? And she's like, well, realistically, you know, it's not it, either. It is very risky or it's not very risky. She's very she's very practical. Does she? Um... Uh, did she play music? Is she a musician also? Not at all. I've like never heard her sing or anything. Like, so why yeah. are the three of you guys musicians? So I would say it definitely comes more so probably from my dad. My dad, um, he would kind of like walk around uh, in the morning and like sing little songs about him, like making breakfast. I have like memories of him doing that. And um, I mean, they both like loved music growing up and stuff, but, but they also never really specifically exposed me to certain kinds of music. Like I know a lot of kids grew up with like, you know, oh, this, this band was always playing in the household or this was always playing. And I didn't really have that, but um, yeah, there was always, there was always kind of a little bit of a vibe, I guess. What's the first band you were in? The first band that I was in? Yeah. Um officially it was a band called uh i think we were called like red moon it was like me and my best friend <laughs> when i was like in seventh grade was it good um not really <laughs> you write was it original music yeah it was original music um yeah it was just it was just me and him we were like writing this was back before i produced he was actually producing us he had garage band and um i was kind of like i had no idea what i was doing i was just playing guitar and singing really badly but you knew to write, like, what were the songs about? Like, what, what's the first song? Um, I think the first song, it was actually a song that I wrote with my friend. Okay, so it's very, it might sound kind of confusing, but I wrote the song um, at, like, the music camp when I was living in Atlanta right before I moved with a couple of my other best friends from uh, growing up. And it was a song called, I think it was called, like, Done, Done and In the Past. It was, like, about, like, a relationship that didn't work out, which I had never been in a relationship. So I don't know why that was the song. And then the second song that we wrote was called I Already Know, which was like about, I think it was about like cheating. And we were like, I don't even know. We were like probably 13 and 14. Like it was so funny. How does it go? Um, oh my God. It was like, and I know, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, no. I don't know. That was like the hug. I don't remember the rest of it. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I was just talking to somebody. And, you know, so much of our job is to create songs that that are easy to sing. Yeah. And you, when you start off and 
you naturally write in a way like that's like a actually like a pretty good melody like that melody, <laughs> thank you you know what i mean thank like you. That, mel- that melody could work now if it's in their yeah. song you know it's yeah it's so weird um so then when you were 13 and you're in a band and stuff are you already thinking like are you performing in front of people um we would do like as like we did that band and I had like a screamo band, we would like book like little like basement shows and stuff like that. Um, like we tried to do, I think it was like there was a Halloween party and we tried to play in the basement and we were so excited. But then as soon as everyone came down, the, the basement was so dusty that everyone had to leave. I think we were in the middle of the first song. So that was really sad. Um, but I was at that time, I didn't even really realize music was going to be like the thing. Like I was like skateboarding a lot. So I thought I was going to be a pro skater. Really? Do you still skate? Yeah barely which is sad i love it but i just don't do it as much especially like right now like it's like i want to be able to go to a skate park or something but i passed by one in like north hollywood and there were so many people and no one was wearing masks i was like it's kind of scary yeah it in that culture music's a big part of that culture 100 percent. why that's interesting. I'm not, I'm not really part of that culture, so but it, it's so famously connected to music. Yeah, I guess I never really questioned it. I just remember like playing, like I used to like learn about songs. Well, it was like a few things for me. One was like randomly back when like Kazaa and LimeWire and like all those things were popping as little kids. I would wake up every morning and like download random music, like literally so much random music. And then also when I was playing like the skate video games, like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, you would like find like the most like, whatever interesting like rock and roll songs and like and like punk songs and stuff and i guess i I don't know i guess i feel like music's a huge thing for especially any kid that feels like they're not maybe part of like the main i don't want to say like popular crowd but like you know what i mean like music is so important for people i think at least for me when i felt a little bit outside i felt like awkward and different and like music was such a like safe haven you know what i mean it was just a place for that expression and that feeling of difference did like i feel like also skating on the east coast is different than skating on the west coast you know it just feels like yeah definitely i feel like you know here there's so much more like just kind of like cruising you know with like i don't even know like long boards and like penny boards and stuff like that for me it was a lot of like park skating and like like literal skate parks and like street skating that was kind of like what i did back in the east coast so how old are you when you leave Atlanta? Do you go basically? Oh, you said you went Atlanta to Philly, and then you went Philly yeah. to school, to, um, to New York. Yeah. So I left Atlanta when I was eleven, um, and then yeah, then I was in Philly until I graduated high school. How much of the music in each city changed who you are as a musician? When you think San Francisco, Atlanta, Philly they each also famously have a sound, you know? For sure. So how much does that change who you are as a, as a musician or as a I fan? Think, I think a lot, you know, I went through so many different phases, like, like so many, but I, you know, for example, in Atlanta, I went through a big phase. Like I was like, I don't know, you know, I was like less than 10 years old, but listening to like Lil John and the Eastside boys and 50 cent and like Eminem and like a lot of like, whatever a lot of different rap music i remember i had like a walkman back when that was a thing and i wrote on it like i literally wrote like Lil john like 50 cent like do not touch or something <laughs> and i was just like little 
And I remember like watching Eight Mile with my mom. Like I had to like ask her if I could listen to Eminem or if I could show him to my friends, you know, because he's like, there's like constantly saying fuck and, and, you know, and you're like a little kid. Um, and then I went through, once I moved to Philly, there was like such this huge thing of like the pop punk and hardcore scene and like the emo, like local bands in like Jersey and Philly and like New York and stuff. And so, and then like MySpace was such a big thing. And then I got my MySpace tattoo like a couple years ago. Um, and it was like all that kind of DIY, DIY band stuff that I became obsessed with, like so obsessed with that scene. Who were the bands that you were obsessed with? Um, it was like stuff like, so there'd be like some solo artists. They'd be like Never Shout Never, The Ready Set, um, Boys Like Girls, there's Endlessly, Stereo Skyline, uh, um, All Time Low, uh, um, The Starting Line. Um, th- there's so many. And then there was like the Screamo stuff, like The Devil Wears Prada, Chiodos, Norma Jean. Um, there's so many. So many. When you start... Um- a lot of people, uh, people call you Lauv because that's yeah. your, you know, your stage name. Who calls you Ari? Who calls you Lauv? And when did people start calling you <laughs> I mean, whenever I do like an interview or something, people are always like, which one should I call you? I'm always like, call me Ari. Like, that's something I think about a lot. I'm like, like, I feel like I should like own it and be like, yo, like I'm Lauv, like all the time. But I always feel so weird. Um, I just didn't want my like official artist name to be Ari for whatever reason. I kind of wanted there to be some separation, but I mean, pretty much everyone calls me Ari unless like you're just meet me. Like if I'm like at a studio or something, people like, yo, like loud, like, what do you want to do? And I always feel so like uncomfortable. I'm like, I like, I don't know. I'm like, this is weird. How old were you (laughs) when you started with loud as in, um, I was explain explain what loud means. Yeah. So I started releasing music as loud in 2015. So I was like, halfway ish through college i basically was trying to up until then like basically my whole thing is i wanted to be an artist you know growing up and like was playing in bands and had like a solo artist project and would do like youtube covers and like all this stuff and then i kind of gave up because i felt like it wasn't working out you know i was watching all these other like kids like blow up on myspace and stuff and it was kind of like i always felt like it wasn't really happening so i was like okay i'm gonna be i learned about like songwriting and production and I was like, oh, that's a real thing. Like people make songs with and for artists behind the scenes. Like I was like, that's so crazy to me. And I started like studying like, okay, like Katy Perry songs and stuff like that. And like trying to like remake the sounds of that. And, um, and I was like, when I was going to go to NYU at first, I was like, okay, I'm going to just like make remixes, like try to meet other songwriters and producers and like make songs and try to pitch them and blah, 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 cold email people. And I didn't think about being an artist. And then I made my first song as Lauv. Uh, It was a song called The Other in like 20, I guess it might've been 2014 and released and then released it in 2015. Um, And I was like, okay, this doesn't feel like a song I want to pitch. It was like really actually about my life. So I wrote it with my friend, Michael Matosik. And I was like, hey man, like, would you mind if I like made an artist project? Like, you know, just as like a little side thing and put it out. And I was like trying to find a name and then I was kind of like, you know, spending forever thinking about it. And um, I kind of just dawned on me that I wanted to use a word from Latvia because my mom's side of the family is from Latvia. And like every summer as a kid, we'd go there. And I just had a lot of like kind of fun memories of being there as a kid. And I'm a Leo and Ari means lion. So I was like, okay, I can Google translate. Like what's like the Latvian word for, for lion? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's, it's Lauva with an A, but I got rid of the A. That's interesting. Um, yeah. What did your family, coming from a family where 
you know, science is your mother's profession. What did they feel about you going to school to do music? That's the thing is they actually were always really supportive, which I have to be super thankful about. Like they were always like, like um, my dad would sometimes like drive us to our shows when we had bands and would be in the back, like vibing, even though my dad is also a scientist, he's a science teacher. I think that they, yeah, they were always supportive of like us doing what we love to do, but they were also like practical. Like my mom would be like, um, like, you know, even when I signed my publishing deal, it was like, you know, if this doesn't work out, you know, like it was kind of conversations of like, okay, like, well, maybe I would just be like an audio engineer or something that was more like you would be paid like whatever hourly or salary, but still in music. Um, but I was lucky that they were, they were never like, you shouldn't do this. They were never like, don't go to school for music or anything like that. So I was definitely lucky about that. In school, some somebody who's making the choice to become an artist while they're in school, um, I mean, it's got to be, a, it's got to be a like kind of a unique thing to to start pitching yourself as an artist, right? I mean, yes. how, did, how how does that work with your co students? Like, what what's that like at NYU? And is it is it the Clive Davis School? I was actually in Steinhardt for music technology, which is so funny because there's like that like kind of like unspoken, sort of spoken like rivalry. It's like music tech versus Clive Davis, which is so funny. Um, I got to be honest, Clive had like way nicer studios. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm like, uh, um, <laughs> no, um, I definitely, you know, I felt really nervous. Like I felt like, very like awkward and shy about it and like you know didn't really want to put my face out there and didn't really understand that side of it and was like very I feel like low-key but you know um I started to play shows in New York and I played like one of my first like real like headline shows at like Webster Hall studio and like got a bunch of my friends and my girlfriend at the time like she was super supportive and got a bunch of her friends out at the show um but yeah, it was cool because like basically I put out the first song and I was really expecting it to be like such a like little side project thing. And like back when like Hype Machine was like a, a huge thing and like all the blogs, it just started like blowing up like literally first, second day and like labels and publishers started reaching out and like to me and like my manager in college. And it was just like really crazy for me because it was like literally everything that I like dreamed of for like when I was back in middle school and high school, I was like, I just wanted the artist thing to work out. And like, it was sort of like when I stopped trying so hard and I just made a song that felt real, it started to click and yeah, it was really cool. It was really crazy to me, you know, stuff started happening pretty quickly. What do you mean trying so hard? I just felt like as a kid, I was trying so hard to like promote myself. I was like making MySpace banners and like friend requesting people with like a friend bot and messaging and commenting and like begging people to buy tickets to my shows from my school and like just try so hard and like brainstorm all day instead of just like making, maybe making better songs. I was so precious about the songs, you know, which I think is a huge thing. Everyone assumes that the job of a hustler who's starting is to get people to come to your show. Yeah. And that's really not the job. Like they'll come to your show if the songs are right. Exactly. It's like, I didn't, I think I had too much pride. I just, I just wasn't, real enough with myself to to like really be like okay these songs are cool but they're not like great you know what i mean 
And I kind of like, I kind of like blamed myself. I was like, oh, I'm not like hot enough or like, oh, I just got really self-conscious. It was very self-destructive. I was like, oh, I'm not working hard enough or like blah, blah, blah. So I was really discouraged. And I think when I like wrote this song that was like for like the first time, it wasn't what I thought somebody wanted to hear or like, you know, trying to pitch a song. It was just like about my life. I saw that people kind of gravitated towards it and that kind of shifted my whole perspective. How much be, be, releasing music as an artist is so vulnerable. And I, yeah. another thing I think people don't recognize how vulnerable it is. Um, but at that time, once you see the success of throwing, putting out a song of yours, do you find that to be ad- addicting or do you, st- or do you still get really nervous? I actually, I love the vulnerability. It sounds maybe kind of weird, but I'm the type of person that like one of my favorite experiences in life other than making music is meeting somebody new and like unfolding each other's lives in conversation. Like literally everything, like relationships, like childhood, parental relationships, like, you know, mentally how we're doing, emotionally how we're doing. Like I'm like such that person that I love that sort of dynamic of like, like, just putting that into the world. I don't know. That's kind of addicting to me. You know, I love that. It like lights me up and it's definitely, it's cool when people react to it. I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, when people react to it and connect to it, it, it's, it's, I don't know. I guess it's like, okay, like, yeah, it's like you're, you're certainly not the only person experiencing it in that way. In this next segment, uh, we'll call, what would Jamie Zellick ask Ari? She asks, uh, looking back now, what advice would you give your younger self? That is so good. Hi, Jamie. (laughs) Um, I think honestly, it would have been, it would have been two things. One, it would have been just write more songs. Like literally don't be so attached to the songs, write more, write more, write more. And two, um, I think like, just stop thinking and stop being so like calculated about it and think about what people want to hear and just write from your heart. I think those two things. Wait, but how do you do that? I mean, this sort of like, or it's such a simple question, but I don't know the answer. How do you write from your heart? What does that mean? For me, for me, that means like, like lately, for example, I've been freestyling a lot more, like I'll hear chords. And instead of like, really like, I feel like I used to be like, here's like a melody that sounds really good. Let me try to find some words and jam it in. You know, now it's way more like I hear the chords, I get on the mic and I just spit phrases out and I just, you know, like get a little bit of like, here's what sounds like a verse. And and then for me, it feels way more just like, just straight up from like somewhere that's not as like kind of thought, I guess that's a big thing for me because I used to sit there in my room with my friends in high school and be like, what should this song be about? What do I want to say? And now it's more just like, what do I feel that I don't even know that I'm thinking about? Interesting. So it's, it's sort of like capturing the freestyle. Yeah. It's just like capturing. Like I never know, like I've always been sort of like, sometimes I'm like jealous of like my friends who are like, Oh, I have this title or I have this concept or I have like this like set of lyrics. I'm very much just like in the moment I'll hear a vibe or I'll start like, you know, I'll start a track and I'll have no idea what it's going to be about. But then like, as soon as I kind of feel like some words of mine capture the essence of what it feels like all of a sudden, it's almost like I have the first piece of like paint on the canvas and I can sort of start to imagine like, where should I flesh it out? You know? Going back a second, when you know you play at Webster Hall and 
you just released a song and Hype Beast comes out, like, you know, hears it. First of all, how do they hear it? How does oh, it was, that- um, well, it was like Hype Machine. So it, oh. was, it wasn't Hype Beast. Yeah, it was just like the blog aggregator. Okay, right, right. How did they, how did, how are people even discovering it? Um, I think the way it was working is just like all these kind of like different like college blogs and music blogs were posting it and then it would chart on Hype Machine because it would see like how many blogs were posting it. And I don't even know what the algorithms were. It was like some type of like blog chart. And then like, you know, obviously the higher it got on the chart, like the same thing now. It's like if you're breaking to like the global top 50 on Spotify, now there's like a whole new threshold or a whole new audience that's hearing that because they just listened to that. But how are people, it's still like, it's so confusing because so many people you know, major label or otherwise release music all the time and blogs don't just all of a sudden start picking up somebody who has minimal amount of followers. And I had nothing, dude. I literally had nothing. I don't know. I think it was, you know what it was? Um, it was a friend of mine from college. Um, I think, I think this is really kind of how it started. His name was Mike Schrader and he had a blog and he agreed. He was like, he was going to support from the very beginning. He posted it. And I think from there, probably other bloggers followed him and found the song. And and then also SoundCloud, you know, at that time, like SoundCloud was like very much the, you know, the main place for stuff to be blowing up. And it, it literally unfolded in front of my eyes. Like I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was studying abroad in Prague at the time, actually. And I, I remember like waking up the next day and being like, there's so many people talking about the song now. Like what is going on? What was it like living in Prague? So sick. Dude, that was so sick. I got to be like real. Like I, that was my semester where I just, I had set up my college experience perfectly where I did most of my credits every single other semester. So I had like only like 12 credits that semester. So I was just like traveling with my friends, like every weekend all around Europe, beer is cheaper than water. So we were having a good time. Um, a lot of Pilsner. Yeah. yeah a lot of Pilsner. It was honestly, it was so fun. It was so fun. Um, okay, so you're getting pressure then from publishers, labels, all these people. I'm sure right off the bat because there's just a slew of A and R people who just who just wait by blogs to see, you know, <laughs> like who's trending on TikTok or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, what's it like to start getting those calls? And then why even finish school? Did you? Yeah, <clears throat> I did finish school. Um, it was crazy. I really didn't know like how to take it. You know, it was just sort of like, um, I think we kind of decided I was going to put the label thing on hold. Cause like, honestly, at that stage, all the label deals were just pretty trash. You know what I mean? They just weren't, if you have like one song blowing up on SoundCloud and like hype machine, like, it, yeah, it wasn't really like something serious, but I was like, pu- kind of like my goal. I don't know why this was sort of the goal, but I was like, I want to send a publishing deal. So it was like I was starting to be like flown out to LA, you know, by this publisher and this publisher to kind of do like writing trips. And and um, I was about to be a senior at NYU. And I, I think I signed right before that year with, uh, with Prescription. The idea of owning your master's is really popular, but it's never, it's so, so rarely done well. And I said in the mm-hmm. intro, you know, I was talking about, you know, how you sort of epitomize the do-it-yourself music, you know, musician. Uh, so many people want to be part of the, building their record, their own record label, which essentially you guys did. Yeah. 
Um, you know, they, I feel I feel like if this is like the '90s, people talked about Dave Matthews that way, where it was like, oh, all you have to do is tour. Like he didn't, you know, he toured and toured and toured, and that's how he built a fan base. You're like, no, he's the only one who succeeded at it. And I feel like right. this is a similar place where there's, you know, maybe there's like five to ten artists after you that have started to do really well because of it. But it feels like in the streaming world, you're the first of the really successful pop artists who built it off of, you know, AWOL and some of these distributors that are smaller than majors. Um, how, I mean, I'm sure you've had majors along the way that have threatened you with really nice offers to come <laughs> their way. Why run your, you know, why take the stress of having your team be, you know, the record label? And yeah. Why and how did it work? I like go go as deep as you want because this yeah. truly everyone now uses you as an example behind your back of like, oh no, I want to do it the way Lauv did. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. He did it the way he did. You can't do it the way he did. Cause by the time you do it, he's already moved on. And there are other people who are doing it that way. But you like set the ground rules, I feel like. Which is so crazy to me, because I feel like it was kind of like for me. I don't want to say by accident, but I didn't really even imagine it to be that way. I was just like, I'll be really real. Like for me, I think I felt like alienated a bit from my earlier major label experiences where I felt like I would walk into buildings feeling so nervous and playing music for A&Rs and always getting this sort of same, like, I don't know if you really have like a thing, let's stay in touch. Like the music's pretty cool. I don't know. And I honestly, it just hurt. It just hurt. And then it was like, as soon that same thing happened with the same song that I released in 2015, the other, the, my very first song, it was now two years later. And on Spotify, somebody added it to some playlist and it started to react. And then it got added to another playlist and another playlist. And then one day I was driving and Jamie texted me and was like, it's on today's top hits. And I was like, this is fucking insane. The song is two years old. And it's now on today's top hits. And suddenly the label conversations start again. And I had just written, I like me better. And I was holding on to that. And then like, I was starting to, you know, like my attorney at the time, who's like my soulmate and best friend was like kind of helping me navigate a lot of it. Can name, and drop, name drop. Your John, Jonathan Kobe. He's my, he's my brother, my another father, spiritual. Like, he's like everything. We're, we're super close. Um, uh, he was helping me navigate it. And at that time I was looking for, you know, management again. And I started working with my current managers, Steve Bersky and Max Grettinger. And, um, and, um, and uh, yeah, I, um, what was I going to say? Um, You're talking about how you were holding on to, I like me better. Cause you were. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like all these labels were like freaking out. And I was honestly so scared. Like I was scared. Cause I still like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I just feel like this stuff was just happening around me. You know, my song on today's top hits, I wrote this song one day in my bedroom in LA that apparently now everyone was like, this is going to be a crazy hit. And I just was like, I don't know what's going on. And, and I was so nervous and like walking into different buildings and like, you know, taking the label meetings and like considering it. But I don't know. I think I still felt a bit like. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Like maybe like alienated and a little bitter about the way the process had been before that I was like, I was talking to my managers and we're like, we can do this, um, you know, do this ourselves. And honestly, credit to them for taking out a brunt of the work, you know, because it wasn't really me who had the stress. It was them who had to, you know, take on additional stress of also kind of running the label side of it along alongside AWOL, you know? So huge shouts out to them for doing that um, and for putting up with so much extra work. That's, you know, that's huge. Um, but yeah, it kind of just all started to happen. And I really, I don't know, it wasn't like this like, grand plan of like, I know this is going to change everything, you know? It just kind of like is happening. Um, I mean, it's so nuts, man. It's like... <laughs> you can go a whole career and people don't have people don't have hits all the time and then to have a hit without the machine behind you really is just mind-boggling why do you think your music it connects to people differently than most i don't know i just yeah, i don't know <laughs> i mean i just like to think the songs that blow up or are, are just so, yeah just good slash great songs. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You, I'm you've not sure. Written, you've written with so many different artists. You have a lot of, you know, I, I think people don't realize how many songs you've written for and with other artists. And yeah. what is the difference in the way you treat writing songs, you know, for, I don't know, Lewis the Child or Celine Dion or Backstreet Boys or Demi or Charlie or all these people that you've written with before. What do you do differently when you write for other people versus when you write for yourself? For me, when it's a me song, I'm like relentless about it being like exactly the way it feels most personal to me. Like I'm like relentless. Like that's the difference between a song I keep and a song that like, even if I love that can be for another artist is like, I'm just so anal about it being like, I don't know. Like, and honestly, maybe to my own detriment, like I've been thinking about this lately, like, you know, one of my best friends and, you know, somebody I came up with is Michael Pollack. I don't know if he's been on the show. Has he been on the show? He hasn't, but 
in the spirit of that, in this next segment, where what would Michael Pollack ask Lav? <laughs> he he asks you, "What's your favorite song that we wrote together, and why?" Oh, that's a good one. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm so tired. I think I think I'm so tired. Um, just but because the way. Go ahead. What? No. no. Just just the way it happened. Like it was like we spent all day like trying to make songs. It was I was renting a house above Chateau Marmont for a summer. Crazy house. It was sort of like an art museum, to be honest. There was art everywhere. It was like almost so much art you couldn't walk. Um and we just all day, like hours and hours and hours trying to write songs. Nothing was clicking. And then he was just sitting at the piano. And I was sitting at my little MIDI keyboard and like the chorus of I'm so tired just started happening. It was literally just like in like a minute, all of a sudden we had this chorus. Like it just, I don't know how to explain it. It just like felt, it just, just started happening. And I'll just, that moment is so like crystal clear and like I can feel the emotion of it and being like, this feels so good. And then, you know, playing it for Troy after me and Troy were in the studio another day and we made a song, um, with Leland that what just wasn't great. And I played, I'm so tired and Troy like freaked out. And it's just like the way that song came together. was just so fun, you know? Incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, you were saying before I interrupted mm-hmm. with Michael's question that, and I think this is important. What I like about, you know, I like me better and stuff is that you wrote it with the people you came up with. Yeah. Like you're not, um, you still are, you, you rarely, you know, you still stay really tight with a lot of the people that you came up with now. Yeah. yeah. You know, you only add in a few people here or there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the same way that you were getting pressured from labels, you must be getting pressure from all over the place. People being like, why don't you write with this huge producer and this huge yeah and this huge whoever you know why don't you feel the urge Mm. to go and play the game yeah that's a good question um i think i do i just think sometimes i get really like comfortable in like my little situation and i just have so much fun working with the people that i love working with you know like shout out like dallas k and johnny simpson and andrea rosario michael matasic michael pollack um i just i don't know it just feels so comfortable But I think more recently, also, especially on like the newer music I'm working on, I've been less hands-on with needing to be the main producer. Like I need to sit and produce a song as I'm writing it and letting other producers, you know, help me or, you know, working with other people. Like, you know, it's like I worked with like Day Trip recently and that was unbelievable. And I'm trying to work with all sorts of different people. Um, Yeah, I just think maybe I get a little bit like comfortable in my my zone. Is, Is it comfortable? I mean, look, Elton John had, you know, Bernie Taupin his whole career and that was his collaborator. I mean, some people don't necessarily need to go and and search for the next, the next, the next if they grow with their co-writers, you know? Yeah, yeah. It it is plausible that you don't need to branch out too much. Although I said should continue to write more together. But that's just... I would love that. I would would fucking love that. (laughs) I would Um, love that. No, but for real, you know, you, you release... The other does really well, but I like me better does something that there's, you know, 
it like a, it's like a once in a career kind of like success. Hopefully, you'll yes. have lots of them. But yeah. that song does something up, you know, five notches from you know crazy what, what other songs. What what was about that? Crazy, song? crazy, crazy, crazy. I, that, that song, like, it's still like I could never come up with like how the hell. I mean, literally, like this first when we released it, I remember like refreshing YouTube and like in like an hour it was going up hundreds of thousands and i was you know me you know remember like i didn't have a big fan base really at that point i was getting like hundreds of thousands of views on like the visualizer like every hour and it was just going and going and going and blowing up and then streaming you know like a million times a day and then up like you know 1.5 almost 2 million times a day on spotify and i'm just like this is insane and like i play like my first like big la show and it was like maybe like the day after it came out and the entire audience knew every word and i was just like it was just insane. Like it was just this whole other thing that was just going crazy. And like all of a sudden there's like, you know, radio conversations and I'm like, still have like no idea what's going on. And I'm like going to radio, I'm driving around the country and like, in just like a little car with like different guys from Intune, like going into radio stations and like playing them the song. And like, I don't know, it was such a trip. And then I just started touring like crazy and, and it just, kept growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And it was such a long thing, you know, where it's like radio didn't really start going for real on it. till like, I feel like actually like a year after it came out, you know, it was such a long, slow burn for that song. It's crazy. Um, I mean, it's shocking and then shocking in like a, in all the positive ways, because again, so many things have to happen to make something a hit, but yeah, the pictures of the shows that you started to play, I mean, you were playing with literally the biggest artists in the world on tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's it like to be on tour with, I mean, you toured with Ed Sheeran, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. what is that? What is it like to go from a dorm room at, at NYU to playing in front of literally many tens of thousands of people nightly? I mean, how it, do you, dude, crazy so crazy because like i feel like a little bit before i got the call about doing tour that year and i had a call with my mom where i was like you know in the car talking about you know if, if i i you know i signed my publishing deal and i you know had a little bit of money in the bank but nothing crazy and i was like you know if this doesn't work out you know who knows what i'm gonna do and then you know flash forward like maybe a couple of months and i got a call from my manager i was like taking a run it was like early in the morning and he was like, I was like, I was like, let me call you back. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. How would you feel about going on tour with Ed Sheeran in arenas in Asia? And I was just like flipping, just jumping around, freaking out, going crazy, like so insane. And like calling my parents and being able to give them that news was like the most satisfying thing, you know, because you're just like, finally, like you guys have been supporting me and like, you know, rooting for me for so many years. And it's like, not, you know who Ed Sheeran is. Like mom and dad, you like, you fucking know who Ed Sheeran is, you know? And it's like, that's undeniable. So that was really cool. And then like meeting him for the first time and he's just so down to earth and so nice and so talented and just kind of like being able to kind of study the way he is on stage and like getting to play arenas and then going back on uh, out on tour with him again in stadiums in the US and like that being insane and the shows were even bigger. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's nuts. Like there's just no, it, it's just nuts. Like, you know, I look back in high school when I was laying on the couch 
with this girl that I had a crush on watching Ed Sheeran music videos. And like, now I'm like, here I am like chilling with him and playing a show in a stadium for like almost a hundred thousand people. It's just like, you can't really process it. Like it's just not, there's no equation that makes sense. It just doesn't make sense. Your lyric writing is really intimate and that's what makes us feel so connected to you. How does touring in front of a hundred thousand people change the way you write? Yeah. Um, I think the more I tour the yeah, it's like, you, the more you see like which songs really react and it's, it's interesting. Like, I feel like for like the soft, I, I think I went through a big time on, on my project. I met you when I was 18. There was a lot of like super soft and emotional stuff. And I realized with that stuff, it's gotta be a super engaging, super engaging lyric, especially in a stadium for people to like, for it to cut through, you know? And other than that, um, I, I think that was the important thing with Ed Sheeran is cause like, you know, his, he could be just him and an acoustic guitar, super quiet, singing the most intimate song, but every single person almost in the stadium is like, is like silent. And it's like, that's a crazy phenomenon, you know? It's like the power of just, it's just something that feels real. I don't know. It's just like you're feeling like you're hearing a story unfold right in front of you. And I, yeah, I don't know. Do any of that's, your songs, that's my favorite. Do any of your songs react in a, in a stadium that didn't necessarily where you didn't think they would really react where the, maybe they're like older or something, but all of a sudden everyone gets really excited. You're like, that's the song or is it pretty much, or, or is there like a correlation between how many songs or how many streams a song has to the reaction the crowd has? You know, one that was really cool for me that I always, yeah, that I always think about is my song breathe. That one is like the slowest one I would play in the stadium. You know, it's like the one where I get everyone to take their cell phones and go side to side and, and as an opening artist, you know, just being real, you know, when like most, more than a majority of the people have no idea who I am, even if they know my song or my songs, they're gonna, they're not gonna know who I am. The when you when you're doing that and you look out and actually a majority of people are listening and have their cell phones out for like a piano ballad, you know, as you're an opener, was really cool. I think that was super surprising to me. Do you have expectations for when you release? Because you just, you know, you released a lot of music since, you know, <laughs> you're, you're very prolific. I know that, you know, quarantine's been really interesting for you. And by the time you actually released your last album, you know, you were already working on your next EP, which then you released a new EP and you're like on your shit. You're just constantly releasing music. Um, do you have expectations for the songs that you release or is it right now, is it more just about getting the songs out? I think I went through a bit of a phase where I was like obsessed with just making as much music as possible and like wanting to put it out, which was kind of like what was going on with this EP that I just put out. I was just like, these songs feel like right now I need to put them out. Uh, I was like very, I don't know. I just was very gung-ho about it. But I think I've kind of returned to this mentality of I've been writing a lot of songs and kind of being a little bit more poised about collecting, you know, a real project and kind of curating a real project for whatever my next thing is going to be and taking my time with it and being like, okay, which of these songs stand the test of time? Not just which of them feel like I need to put it out right now, but which of them am I going back to month after month, you know, week after week, month after month and saying, I can't stop listening to this, you know? And that's what I'm trying to do, you know, now for this next project is like write songs that feel different, for me, I always want to do something that feels different and that 
that I really, truly like keep coming back to. One of the questions that uh, other questions Jamie asked was, you know, mm. who's a dream artist you'd want to collaborate with? And for this next project, are you trying to collaborate with people? You know, the funny thing is with collabs, I feel like I never really plan on it. It just kind of happens. Like it literally just, I don't know, I'll start talking to somebody as a friend and then we're like, hey, let's like make something. And then either it turns out great or it doesn't. But I feel like the couple of dreams are <laughs> Drake and Coldplay, which are very different from each other. Very, very different from each other. I mean, imagine the song that's Love, Drake and Coldplay. That would be crazy. Uh, yeah, we got. I got to get my shit like way up. Like I got to get the shit really popping. But that's that's like that's a big one. Um. So you said one word that I think a lot of people don't associate with music artists, but they do with mm-hmm. painting artists. But it's probably the the one word that really distinguishes artists that last versus ones that don't. Is you said curate the songs. Yeah. Um, are you a good curator for your own music? I don't know. I think I'm learning, man. Like, I, I think I'm learning, you know, like I'm a huge overthinker. I'd like to think on this project, I'm doing a good job, you know, th- this next one. Um, because I think for me, it's just about figuring out like what's, what's important for the project. Um, and I think, you know, I think what's like becoming really important for me on this one is, um, and you know, it was the same thing on my last, it was the same thing on, on my last album too, was like trying to do, uh, trying to commit to experimenting in different vibes and not be afraid of that, but to do them to like the best version of that vibe, if that makes sense. I don't know, if, that, I don't know if I'm explaining it totally properly, but I think for me, instead of, okay, maybe what I should say is like, instead of the thread being like, oh, the whole album sounds the same, it's more so like I try to figure out what is the thread between like maybe the personality or like the visual narrative or like what sort of like the story or the undertone I want to tell is and can that, can you see that or can you feel that even in an unspoken way, can you feel that throughout the songs? I think that's sort of my goal now is like, because I was always told, you know, growing up when I was starting, like, oh, like you have to have like a very, you know, one sound, like one sound. But I was like bored. Like I love an artist. You go through an album and you hear like so many different like genres, honestly. And it's just like, but it still just sounds like them because they say things the way they say them. They're going through a certain time in their life. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the thing. Of course. Smart. The Explain what the Blue Boy Foundation is. Yeah. um, So... I started a foundation in 2019 um, right around the time I released my song sad forever. Cause I wanted to, basically I just had gotten out of like a huge hole. Like I beginning of 2019, um, I, I didn't realize exactly what it was in the time, but I was like super depressed and experiencing really bad OCD. And I, you know, started dealing with it in therapy and, and through psychi- psychiatry. And when I got like an official diagnosis and I was just like in this huge, like just awful hole, like really, really bad hole where I was just like all of January. I mean, a lot of 2018, I was kind of going downhill where like my obsessive anxiety was going up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And I was becoming less in touch with like feeling anything in the moment and just feeling depressed. And January, 2019, I'm like, like just like journaling, trying to like 
like recount events in my life and whatever, just like being super obsessive and like calling my parents and calling my sisters and just in this horrible place. And anyways, I was diagnosed with OCD and depression, started dealing with it, started to, you know, get out of this hole um, as I would describe it and kind of come a little bit more back to reality. And I was like, okay, like I need, to, like, I want to do something about this one. I want to tell my story through the song Two, I want to tell, you know, the story more in depth through the video three, like, I want this to be for something. So I was like taking, decided to take the proceeds and I was like, I want to be able to create um, a way for this money to be distributed to different organizations that are doing work in reducing stigma my mental health and helping people get care and so I created the foundation and since then it's been something I've just been growing a lot more and more um, trying to just find ways to get involved, you know, hosting online panels and, you know, hopefully again, did we did like one in person one. I want to do more and um, yeah, it's just become something that's been, I guess, just really important to me. What can fans and what can collaborators do to help when they have, you know, when, when they have a, a collaborator who's struggling with, you know, depression or OCD, or you know, if somebody's a fan of yours and they know that you're going through a hard time, what's an what's a way that that people can communicate um, support? Yeah, um, I honestly think the biggest thing as somebody who's witnessing that is just listening and being non-judgmental. Be soft for them, you know, like be open-hearted hear them out and also don't put so much pressure on yourself to say the right thing, you know, because we're not perfect. And, and I think it's, you know, it can be, it can maybe in the moment you could argue that it could be harmful. You're worried to say the wrong thing, but I think oftentimes humans are paralyzed by this fear of saying the wrong thing. So they say nothing, you know, and then it's, then you create this environment that maybe feels cold, but just trying to, you know, just be there, listen and, um, help people understand that there's resources available, you know, in therapy and psychiatry. And, you know, for me, I feel like when my friends are struggling, I do try to bring a lot of like meditation into it. And uh, yeah, I, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing is listening and, and trying not to put so much pressure on yourself to know all the answers, but just to, to, because you can feel when somebody's being loving towards you. Like even when somebody says the wrong things to me, if I can feel they're coming from their heart, that's an act of love and that that's healing in and of itself. Totally. Um, you've, you've built a career out of writing, you know, when people think of, you know, these are often sad songs, you know, is, and emotional songs. Does that feel cathartic for you to be able to write it down? Is it, is it the writing it down that makes you feel better? Or is it the releasing the music that makes you feel better? Um, I think it's both. I think it's more so creating the song. You know, I think my favorite experience is like going into a room and not knowing what it's going to happen. And then like at the end being like, this is a song that represents something that I've been feeling a lot recently, but I haven't really known how to articulate. That's like one of my favorite feelings ever. That's so satisfying. Um, then obviously the releasing is, is a nice part of it as well. Um, but honestly, I feel like a lot of the music I've been making during quarantine has been not all less emotional, but I think I'm finally making, I'm hitting a part of my career where I'm making fun music, which feels so good. Hmm. It feels so good to not always be like, all my music is just complaining. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's it's the thing. Nice. It's like, you know, the, there is a yin, yin and yang part of 
all of it that writing about if part of your job is to entertain your audience, you know, there's a way to discuss these things in an even an up tempo way. Yeah. <laughs> like it Yeah, 100%. Not, it doesn't have to not be honest. Yeah. Just because it's I love stuff like that. Like the other night I was writing a song um that felt very much like I didn't finish it, but it was very much like I had this feeling of like it reminded me of like my high school prom and the song felt really fun, but it was sort of like the lyric was becoming this tragic thing of like the person that I really wanted to be with, you know, is with somebody else, you know, like, or they got back together with their ex and like, you have a, and you have a crush on them and you're just like speaking to somebody else. Like, will you hold me? Because, you know, my, my lover is found somebody else and the song feels so fun and like nostalgic, but the lyric is like, ouch, you know? Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, so this next segment, we're going to go to five for five. I'm going to name five things. There'll probably be a few more than that. And you'll just tell me sort of what comes off the top of your head. So um, let's go, you know, some people that you've mentioned throughout the, you know, this podcast. Let's start with Jonathan Kobe because you mentioned him as being like the first guy, really. So let's go with him. Just absolute boss, such a good people person, always there to listen. Uh, hopefully I'm doing this right. And he's, he's been the number one person to empower me. He's always like, you're the boss. Like I've always been like very afraid to take the, to like steer the ship. And he's always been the one who's always, he's been there for me and really empowered me. Let's go with your managers. Uh, Unbelievably intelligent, unbelievably strategic um, have been there for me in like my darkest times. Uh, They, and I feel like my relationship with them is way beyond just business you know it's way beyond just business which i'm super grateful for because i know it's not always like that let's go with jay cash and jamie um family just family like 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 the first like you know jamie is like they're some of the first people i knew in la jay cash is just genius like one of a kind genius uh, hands down uh he knows how to just fuck shit up and have fun and yeah, I, I love both of them so much. Okay, um, this is sort of a two-parter, but let's go with Ed Sheeran. I don't know how the man writes so many songs in one day. How does he do it? I don't know. I literally don't know. We sat down one day and like we wrote, I think, three songs in a few hours. And he told me about how he was writing, I forget with who, somebody else. Maybe it was like Shawn Mendes or somebody else. And he was like, yeah, we wrote like seven songs in that day. And I was just like, I, he, I just don't know. He's a machine. He's a machine and like the most heartfelt machine ever. I don't know. And the songs are all pretty good. Like, yeah. The worst song is still pretty good. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Just when we all think we're prolific, there's always an Ed Sheeran. I know. Uh, it's crazy. BTS. BTS. I mean, obviously, uh, like the biggest thing in the world. Um, I wish I got a chance to spend more time with them. I think I'll say that. Uh, Crazy that we made music together. I think that was the most like unexpected collab of my career so far. Amazing. Um, And then finally, your parents. Oh, that's so much. So much love. I always want to be closer to them. I always want to be closer to their hearts. And I miss them. I'm incredibly thankful that they've been so supportive throughout my career and, and my life. I love them a lot. 
Well, thank you for doing And the Writer Is. Finally. Dude, thank you for having me. This has been like a thing. This has been like a dream for a long time to actually do this. So it's crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I always end by getting my chance to say the thing that I wish I could say to them. If I, you know, it's like, it's weird in real life. You don't say all those things that you were talking about earlier, where it's hard sometimes to just tell people it's on your heart, you know, cause yeah. it's awkward when you're just saying hi to somebody or eating lunch. Like you don't leave yeah. by telling them how you feel about them, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I love that you mentioned that how, you know, sometimes it's like, it's, it's hard to just say things. Yeah, and, it is. And your vulnerability in your songwriting is what makes you uh, profoundly unique. And there are so many people who have emulated that, but there are very few people who've achieved what you've done. And the fact is that there's a almost a genre that follows in your footsteps. And I think I'm sure there are times where as you're wrapped up trying to finish a song at home, there are people who are who still think of you and talk about you as if you're the example of what success is. And I hope you recognize how successful you've become. And you know, this is our first interview, but you know, we'll be doing these often to make sure we keep updated on all the things. But you know, the success of your songs aren't because there's a big machine behind it, but it's because of your talent and it's because of your personality and uh, you've earned all of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a collaborator and mm. I'm like literally tearing up, dude. Thank you so much. That really hits me in the heart. I really, I appreciate that. No one's ever really said that to me in that way. Um, I feel like this is a, honestly, like a bit of a, uh, what is the word revelation moment for me that I kind of need right now. So I really, I appreciate you and I have a lot of love for you and we have to make more songs and I I'd love to do this anytime. So appreciate okay. you, man. All right, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of and the writer is if you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.